0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. The year was 1884. It was a small town called Frisco in New Mexico. It's the Old West. And in this small town, there was a nearby ranch run by a guy by the name of John B. Slaughter. And on that ranch, he had, they, they estimate something like 150 cowboys and ranch hands. And they were known in the region as some of the rowdiest in the region. And in this little town of Frisco, these cowboys and ranch hands would come in and they started terrorizing, uh, even abusing the townspeople there. In fact, at times they even roughed them up, um, beat up some of them and actually tortured some of them. I mean, it was getting really, really out of control. And there was just one sheriff in the town and he, I mean, he was just so outmatched. He didn't know what to do. I mean, what is he supposed to do with this near army of, of 150 of them that would just seem to do whatever they wanted to do. So he, he, he actually left the town and went to a nearby town looking for help. And the process, he came along a guy, 19 years old at the time, by the name of El Fago Baca. That was his name. There's a picture of him. That's a historic picture of this guy. And the thing about this 19-year-old is he was different than most people. He had always wanted to be a lawman yeah he had that just inner desire to be a person that brought justice and law and order. And so he always wanted to to be that. And so when this guy rode into the town looking for help, really no one responded except for him. And see that that's the difference is he had just he was after something else with his life. And so as the the now legend goes, he actually got a badge, a mail order badge. He, Some say he actually stole pistols. He went to a justice of the peace and coerced him to deputize him. Not exactly sure about those details, but they uh, sound a little unsavory. They, he forced that uh, justice of the peace to deputize him. And as a deputy sheriff, he rode uh, something like a hundred miles, a little over a hundred miles to this little town of Frisco. He was the, literally the new sheriff in town. Well, it was not long before there was a cowboy that was roughing up uh, some, one of the, the townspeople, part of this kind of mob, this, this posse, and he takes this cowboy, puts him in jail, but the, even the magistrate is just he's too scared of this whole uh, mob of people and lets him go, but uh, El Fago Baca knows that there's going, to be, there's going to be trouble because even just arresting the guy, and sure enough, the next day, 80 show up. 80 of these ranch hands and cowboys armed to the teeth. And, they, uh, and he knows it's going to be a shootout. And so he goes and he hides in a nearby house, a little hut. And they surround the hut and just say, Hey, um, Sheriff Baca, you're going to need to come out. We've got some things to talk with you about. And he refused to budge. He stood his ground. And so they started, they all pulled their weapons and they started unloading a hailstorm of bullets on this house. And one of the most notorious shootouts called the Frisco Shootout of the entire Old West took place. He, he stayed his ground the entire time in this, and, and the shootout shoot firing back as 80 of them are firing, just riddling this little hut with bullets. And it lasted for a day and a half, 36, nearly 36 hours. And the only reason it stopped is because they ran out of bullets. They suggest, uh, some historians suggest they fired as many as 4,000 rounds at that house. And Sheriff Baca uh, had, by the time it was all done, didn't even have a scratch on his body. He had killed a couple of their... Uh, cowboys, injured a few more, wounded a few more. And uh, when they finally went away, they tried to have him uh, tried for murder. And they brought him to the magistrate to try him for murder. And Baca was like, sure, no problem. And he showed up with just one piece of evidence, the door from the hut that he was on, which some estimate had as many as 70 bullet holes in it. And that was enough to immediately acquit him. And he went on to become the sheriff and all the atrocities in that town ended. To this day, you drive to this little town in New Mexico, and there's a statue of Baca commending his courage. It was one man who said, not on my watch. Here's the only difference between him and everybody else. I think really the only difference. Most maybe went out west, get land, you know, maybe gold, whatever it may have been, but he had a different desire. He had something else that he was after. He had a calling that he was after, And that led him to do things that no one else in his generation did. That led him to do things that no one else in his region did. And it led him to be used for something that is still remembered, the impact of which is still remembered to this day. Here's why I share that story. Here's what we're talking about today. The passage that we're looking at, it's calling those of us who are following Jesus to step into that call that's on our life. Here's one way the Bible puts it in another passage. It says, you are God's workmanship, created for good works that he's prepared beforehand. In other words, he's thought of you and he has things he wants to do through you in this life. There is purpose and meaning. Here's how it's put in another part of scripture. Every day ordained for you was written in His book before one of them came to be. He knows what He wants to do in you and through you, but where it starts is we've got to change in our in our lives what it is that we're after. I want you to look at Second Corinthians chapter nine with me. We're going to look at verse ten. I want you to see how Paul puts that concept in just real robustness. This is Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start in verse 10. I want you to hear what Paul says. He says it like this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God." Now pause with me and let's get our bearings here. Paul is appealing to, we're catching it in the middle of a discussion, he's appealing to the principle of sowing and reaping. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but we've got to re-familiarize ourselves with this and actually take it a little bit deeper to really understand what this text is saying this week. The idea of sowing and reaping comes from an agricultural context. You're sowing seeds into the ground, and then time passes— And in the right time, and when the time is right, then you reap back a harvest. And so there's a couple components to this. You're sowing into the ground. You're reaping in a harvest. But kind of inherent in the sowing and reaping is that you sow one seed. You are not reaping one seed back, right? You sow one seed. You're then going to reap an entire plant that's going to have multiple fruit, and in each fruit is multiple seeds. So you sow seeds, you get a multiplied harvest back. That's inherent in sowing and reaping. If you plant one seed and only get one seed back, that was not a successful harvest. The idea is you sow seed, you get harvest back, and you have even more seed so that you can do even even more sowing to get even more of a harvest back and more seed back and on and on. That's the logic of sowing and reaping, okay? Now, there are multiple ways that this applies in our lives. This is an agricultural illustration, but we're familiar with it in multiple aspects of our lives. So we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, Maybe the most one-to-one is financial investing. So you invest, maybe you set aside money for retirement. You sow money now, then the idea is one day you harvest more back. If you sowed $1,000 and after all that time, all you get back is $1,000, that was not a successful retirement program, was it? No. If you sow a little, you should reap more back. But if you sow a little, you won't reap as much back as if you sow a lot. Okay, these are all kind of the sowing and reaping principles. That's how we think about it in pure finances. But there's other categories as well. How about your health? The decisions you make, you're sowing things for your physical health, the decisions that you're making. The idea is that you're going to, in time, reap something back. You start working out, you're not going to be massively muscular like the next day. I've tried it. It does not work. Okay. You've got to, it's, it's uh, over time. You just sow the good decisions. Sow the eating right, sleeping right, taking good care of yourself. You sow those in, eventually you'll reap back more than you sowed. Same relationally. If you want friendships, you're sowing time and effort into your friendship, into relationships, hopefully harvesting an even greater harvest back. Okay. That's a little bit of a review. Let's now take this a step further into the sowing and reaping concept. I want to actually look, there's three parts of the anatomy of sowing and reaping, and we've got to get this to understand what Paul's going to say. There's what you're sowing, there's what you're harvesting, what you want to harvest, and then there's the process in the middle, you're trusting to give you that multiplied harvest back. Okay? Let's walk through this. Let's say in financial investing. What are you sowing? You're sowing dollars, money. You're sowing money into something, and what is the harvest you want back? More money. That's the harvest you're looking for. What's then the process that you have faith in to multiply that back? Maybe it's the stock market. I'm going to I'm sow into the stock market in faith that I'm going to get more back that I sowed. Maybe it's your friend's startup business. You're going to sow money. You're hoping to get more money back. Money is the seed. Money is the harvest. And the thing you're trusting in is your friend's business. You see those three pieces? Okay. Friendship. You're going to sow... What's the seed? You're going to sow time. You're hoping that the harvest is a life-giving relationship. camaraderie, Companionship relational intimacy. But then you've got to decide where you're going to sow those seeds of time that you believe you're going to get that back. So maybe you say, I'm going to sow that and invest my time in the local bar. I'm going to sow my time at the local bar, hoping that that's where I find relationships that are then going to be life-giving. Or maybe your coworkers, or maybe your neighborhood, or maybe at your church you're gonna pick where you're gonna sow your time expecting that relationship back, okay? You follow me so far? There's seeds that you're sowing, there's a harvest you want back, and there's a process in the middle. Okay, we could keep going and going, but I, th- I think we got it, okay. What, is, what part of our life is Paul bringing into the sowing and reaping conversation? It's part that we're not typically expecting. It's financial generosity. We typically don't naturally think of financial generosity in terms of sowing and reaping. But Paul's, I mean, he's talking about broader generosity, because there's a, all different ways you can be generous. You can be generous with your time, with your talents, like your gifting, your skills, and with your treasure. And that's absolutely true. But in this text, he's specifically talking about finances. In fact, he said that in the last chapter. He said, look, You excel in many areas of your life, but I want you to excel in this area as well of financial generosity, because I don't want you to miss out on what God is wanting to do in your life. And so now he's bringing this idea of sowing and reaping. So I don't want you to miss out on sowing and reaping with your financial generosity. But we say, time out, Paul. I don't really see, I mean, How is generosity? In fact, I mean, what what generosity feels like is like there's all these other areas that we're sowing and reaping financially. There's stuff we're saving. There's stuff we're investing in our career. Maybe we're investing in in our future, investing in our kids. There's all these things we're sowing financially and we see how there will be something that we will reap back and so we're like, look, so I don't have time to just give because when I give, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm sending it away. Like I'll no longer reap anything back. I'm just, it's just disappearing. I'm, I'm giving it away. I'm sacrificing it. And so a lot of times what we do is every other part of our life financially, we're, we see all of this is sowing and reaping. These are good uses of finances, but this is the stuff that I'm sacrificing saying, I, I'm okay with not sowing and reaping this. I will give it away. But Paul's saying, no, actually, this is sowing and reaping. And he's saying, this is why you don't leave it for last with whatever I have left over, then I'll sow and reap. He's saying, actually, this is actually sowing and reaping. Meaning, we we sow that in, and so then there will be a different type of harvest that comes back to us. You say, look, when I think about generosity, I think of something I'm giving away. How is there a harvest back to me? Let's keep going. Look what he says in in verse 12. For the ministry of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Now, pause with me there. I want you to see what he says. He says a lot of really profound things in there. He says, look, when we think of generosity, what we think is like, okay, I will give this up to meet someone else's need, whether it's their spiritual need or some tangible need, I will, I'm will. i willing to surrender this and I, I won't sow and reap it in other ways. I'll just give it away to meet their need. But Paul says, but time out, you're not only meeting a need. There's a harvest that's happening there. He says, these people, when because that's given in the name of Jesus, they are going to give thanks to God. They're going to glorify God because of it. They're going to be connected to God. He's saying they are going to be led into worship, whether it's because they were lost and they came to faith or they were stuck and now they've grown spiritually or they had a physical need and they saw how God met their physical need. They will then give glory to God. They will be worshiping God, which if you look at what Paul would say is, I mean, with the scripture, the testimony of the scripture is, the whole reason you and I are on in the universe is one fi- uh, one primary purpose. It's not to be like find happiness. It's not to construct and find my own goals and dreams and to and to achieve them. We exist every one of us to bring glory to God. That is our fundamental purpose. And actually as we do that since that's why what we're the purpose we're wired for that's when paradoxically we find the most joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. It's in that gnawing, constant, clamoring pursuit of satisfaction and pleasure and and that that pursuit of, of reaching dreams and trying to be true to what we find inside and just that constant, clawing, gnawing pursuit that we find ourselves on a hamster wheel and it all just vanishes through our fingers like a vapor. He says you're wired to bring glory to God. And so what you're doing when you're sowing financially, what you're doing is you're actually going to be drawing people into giving praise to God and giving glory to God, which is the purpose of our lives. But there's something else in here that I want you to see. It's profound. He says this ministry of service, and that word service, he picked a very unusual term. There's other way more common words he could have picked for service in the ancient Greek. He picked the word liturgios, which is where we get our English word liturgy. And it's a technical term that would describe the period of service a priest would make in the temple. So when a priest goes to the temple, what do you you mean priest? Well, there's priests in the Old Testament there were priests, and a, and a priest in the Old Testament does, you know, what a, fundamentally what a priest does is a priest is the intermediary between God and humans. And the priest is the one that connects God with other humans, but when Jesus came, the great High priest, laid down his life, sacrificed his life to once and for all pay for our sins, he became not only the sacrifice, but the great high priest, once and for all, Jesus personally connecting all of us to God. He is the great High priest. And then he made all of us who are followers of Jesus, every one of us were called the priesthood of believers. You're a priest, and I am a priest if you're a follower of Jesus. This is the reason why you call me pastor, you don't call me. Me priest because I'm, I'm just as much a priest as you. We all go straight through Jesus to God. I'm a, a shepherd, a pastor. I'm not a priest. You're a priest and I'm a priest. We are sent into the world to connect the world to God. Okay. Now here's what he says. He says, your act of generosity is a priestly, a liturgias. It is a priestly work. Your act of generosity, you're not, listen to me, this is so important. You're not funding priests. You're being a priest. You're, you're in that work, even through those finances, you are connecting people to God. As you're, as you're generous, generously giving back to the Lord, you are harvesting something. You are harvesting back souls that are connected to God, lost people that are found, people who are trying to grow, grow in the faith, people who are who are who have desperate needs, are, their needs are met in the name of Jesus. You're connecting people to God. It's put in so many different ways in scripture. It's saying when we financially are generous, we're seeking first the kingdom of God, one place it's put. When we're financially generous, we're bearing fruit. There's harvest language there. We're bearing fruit. Jesus said, look, the fields are white with harvest. He says, there's not a harvest problem. He says, pray for laborers. There's a labor problem. He says, "There's a, there's a, there's a it's ready for harvest. Our, our field, South Florida, ready for harvest. He says, this is bearing fruit. Here's another way. That's one of my favorite ways Jesus put it. He tells this parable. And he basically gets the end of the parable and he says, use worldly resources to make friends for yourself in eternity. In other words, when you go to heaven, take as many people with you and all the way through eternity. Imagine all the way through eternity. when, When our eyes are opened, we'll stop each other and we'll say, I never met you. But because of this or this that you did, I'm here. And that will never get old. Jesus says, trust me, make friends for yourself in heaven. Okay, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. There's another harvest that he's calling us to. Okay, this is the fundamental aspect of being a follower of Jesus. We put it like this. We say, look, we're all, um, the ancient Greek word for disciple is you're a mathetase. We talk about this all the time, Siderev. We're mathetes. A mathetase has three attributes, a follower of Jesus, three attributes. You're rescued, we're, we're awestruck, and we're mobilized. We've been rescued by the gospel. We're awestruck by who God is in worship, and we continue in worship through our lives, and we're mobilized. This is essentially, he's saying, this is a fundamental key way you are mobilized. You're not funding those who are mobilized. You are mobilized, and that work is bearing fruit. Okay, Look at what he says, verse 13. Let's keep going. We'll read these in the next couple of verses. By their approval, we're going to read this verse again. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because, watch, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He says, where does this all come from? He says, it all comes from you've been rescued by the gospel. There's a grace on you. That is an inexpressible gift. Do you realize Christian, or maybe the person who's here is not a Christian and you're asking religious questions. Do you understand the undescribable difference between what Jesus said and every other religion in history. Every other religion gives you a framework to earn salvation. But Jesus said, it's a gift. You cannot earn it. It is God's unbelievable generosity that he poured out the Son of God, Jesus Christ, expended him on the cross absorbing all of the wrath that our sin deserves. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And that's offered as a gift. That's his grace. It's an indescribable gift. It says it's so unbelievable that the angels lean over and they marvel. That's the grace on you of your rescue. And that gift on you, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that gift on you gives us a reflex because of the generosity of God. He is so generous to us. We've received that gift of salvation. You can today receive salvation as a gift. You receive that gift of salvation and you're, we are now mobilized so that others can receive this gift. See, what we're sowing is in financial generosity, we're reaping a harvest of, of souls, it's an eternal harvest that we're reaping. Now, time out. In sowing and reaping, there's an, an inherent part of sowing and reaping. I sow seeds, and in the harvest, I get back more seeds, so that I can har- so I can sow more, so that I can then harvest even more. That is essential to sowing and reaping, right? You don't sow a seed and get one seed back. That's not a good harvest. You don't sow a seed and get no seeds back. So how does this work? I mean, that's why it's hard to see generosity sowing and reaping. I want to go back and show you what 10 and 11 said again, okay? And marvel at this. Look at what it says, 10 and 11. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and what's the word there? multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And if that wasn't clear enough, look what he says. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Here's what this is. Here's what's going on. He's saying, look, you're sowing seeds of financial generosity. What's the the process you're putting your faith in? It's in this case, it's not the stock market, it's not your friend's business, it's not something else, it's not the church. You're sowing seeds by giving it back to the Lord. Maybe you're giving it back through your church, but the one who's going to bring the seeds back to you is God. God is going to bring that back. So you have multiplied seed to sow more. You say, am I I hearing that right? You're saying, if I sow financially, I'm going to reap back more financially? I've heard that type of thing. I'm not really sure that's in the Bible. If that wasn't clear enough, he says it in the next verse. You will be enriched in every way. Now, our English word for enriched means a lot of different things. There's like enriched flour in foods that we eat. In the ancient Greek, it does not have a wide meaning. It has a very narrow meaning. He will make you financially enriched. He will give you more. If you're sowing seeds for a harvest of righteousness, you will reap back more so you can be even more generous to get a greater harvest of righteousness. You say, I I don't know, man, I... I'm not sure I I, I believe that. You're saying that God will magically provide more seeds for me, like just money's going to start appearing. It's not magical at all. Listen to what he says. He who's provided the seed for sowing. Everything you already has has been supplied by God. He's not doing something brand new. He's the one who provided all of it. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. If your aim is an eternal harvest... That's your aim. If your aim is an eternal harvest, you will have an eternal backer. If your aim is harvesting things that matter for eternity, your patron will be the eternal one. In other words, if you say, okay, God, I I no longer am after the things of this world. I'm after the things that matter for eternity. God's like, oh man, I would love to work with you to do some incredible things, because I have plans for you. I would love to come alongside in partnership and use you to connect people to God. You say, "Ah, are you sure that's what the Bible says? Okay, I'm just gonna have to read you some more verses. There's just so many. I I just picked three from three different parts of the Bible. Listen to what it says. Proverbs 3, verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Don't debate me. Take this up with the Bible. Listen to what it says in Malachi. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, let's have a go. You don't believe me? He says, try me out. He says, test me. Look at what he says in Luke. This is Jesus' own words right there in your Bible. This is Luke uh, chapter six. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See what the scripture says. See what God's word says and stand on the promises of scripture. You say, well, time out, this kind of sounds like the prosperity gospel. You know, like if you give, then, you know, you give to your church and then you get rich. Like, isn't that the prosperity gospel? Yes, that phrase right there is exactly the prosperity gospel. And it is extremely dangerous. It's a false gospel. But there's one primary fundamental difference that is, is humongous. The prosperity gospel says I'm sowing financially and I'm going to use put my faith in the Lord and the harvest I'm after is more money. The promises of scripture says you sow seeds, you put your faith in the Lord and the harvest you're after is souls being saved for eternity. That's the difference. The prosperity gospel leaves money as the idol on the throne. And you're using God to get more money. What this passage says is you realize that he's already given you eternity. You're saying you, he's been given me every, what more could this world have for me? I've been given eternity. I, I don't need anything from this world anymore. I don't want anything from this world anymore. I'm, I'm living for where I'll spend eternity. And so God's like, look, if, if you've been transformed, if your desires are now different, and this world no longer has anything for you. He says, and you want to sow in the work of God so that you can harvest, see a harvest of righteousness. You can see eternal fruit. God's like, I would love to provide you more seeds to sow into that. That's what he's saying. That's the the promises here in scripture he's calling us to be followers of Jesus mobilized he's calling us to redefine our harvest it's to change our desires so that we live differently in this world and what we're now after is not what this world has to offer we're after what only matters for eternity redefine the harvest of our lives that's what he's after in our hearts. You say, well, look, I, you know, that one guy you told at the beginning, that one shootout, I mean, he's like one guy against so many. I mean, what can I do? I can't do that much. Like, there's not that much that, that I can do. Well, let me tell you a, another famous story um, from the Old West. This is 1892, a few years later, but this one takes place in a, in a town called Coffeyville, Kansas great name. <laughs> Coffeyville, Kansas. And there was in the region a, a gang called the Dalton Gang, and they were robbing banks. And they were terrorizing, killing people, going through all of these, these towns. And this little town in Kansas decided, if the Dalton Gang ever comes here, we'll be ready for them. And so sure enough, one day, whispers through the town, says, hey, the Dalton Gang is here and they've, they've tied up their horses outside the bank. There's a historic photo of this bank I think we've got right there. They tied their, their horses outside that bank and the whispers went through the town. And the entire town rose up like an army, armed to the teeth. And not only did they save their town from being robbed, but they wiped out the Dalton Gang never to terrorize another town again. You're not alone, Christian. You're part of an army. You're not a one man army, a one woman army. You're part of an army. And do you know what's at stake? It's way worse than what Coffeeville was facing. We're not fighting a physical battle, we're not fighting a flesh and blood battle. We're fighting a battle for eternity. 4.6 million people live in Dade and Broward. And by our best estimates, the best research in the last couple years, out of 4.6 that live here, over 4.4 have no understanding of the gospel. The stakes are high. He's called us to do the priestly work of all of our lives so that our Friends, family, neighbors, co-workers can come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We give it, or we're all in, math If we can't, we're, we're called to live lives of generosity, giving ourselves in the footsteps of Christ as an army to reach South Florida. And if we can't even start with the most basic space, of generous with our finance, I mean, that's just step one, Christian. There's so much more he's calling from us to give our lives because he's made you into an army. Maybe say, okay, well, tell me how we've been through this series. Where do I start? Look, uh, let me just give you on this journey. This is what the journey that most of us kind of go through in our lives. Where do you start? Like some have never said, okay, I've never looked at my finances and I've never like given it back to the Lord. Like I've never engaged. And so maybe step one is you just engage. You say, okay, God, I believe... I believe that, like as I'm sewing this into your into your work, I'm just I'm gonna engage. You say I've never done this before. How do I do that? You can go to cityrev.org/give. It gives you more information about that. There's also more information on the CityRev app. But maybe you just take a step and you just engage, and you you take God on His promises of sowing and reaping. But some of you say, okay, I've done that. Like, I've engaged here and there. I've been generous. I've given back to the church family I'm a part of. I've I've been generous. But maybe like, well, what's my next step? For some people, it's like, okay, it's taking the next step and say, okay, I heard what he said about first fruits. I actually need to make this my priority. I need to start here, not end with this. And so some of you said, okay, I need to take another step and get prioritized and say, I'm going to look at my budget. This is the question I'm going to start with, not save for last. And I'm going to say, this is my, my, my first discussion. Lord, what do you want me to give back to the Lord? It's first roots. It's one of the steps in the Bible. Others have said, okay, I I do that. And I've got like, there's like something regular in my life. Like I give back to the Lord first, but maybe you take another step and you say, like, I heard what it was saying about tithes, like percentages. And so maybe you now pray and you say, okay, God, what is the percentage you're calling me to do? I heard about that 10% thing. Maybe that's your first milestone you work towards. You say, I'm going to take a step and I'm going to get serious because if sowing and reaping, if the Bible is true and your promises are true, then I want to see that. And I want to bear fruit in that area in my life. Some of you have gotten there. Maybe some of you grew up saying, no, I know 10% you give back to the Lord. But there's nowhere in the scripture that we're said, yeah, I want you 10%, you're done. 10's yours. 90%, or, uh, 10% is God's, 90% is yours. No, 100% belongs to the Lord. If you believe in sowing and reaping, why would you ever stop there? Here's how the ancient Christians thought about it. They said, the world lives with its own financial extravagances. But our extravagance is the kingdom of God. That second century persecuted Christians. Other people have, like, this is kind of what my one financial extravagance is. They say, no, my financial extravagance is sowing into the work of God the things that will matter a billion years from now. Some of you take another step and let it be your extravagance. Take that step. And you say, okay, look, I I hear you. Like, I'm called to take that step, sowing and reaping. And and I'm sure many people have experienced that. And Christian, I've got to tell you, the number of times I've seen that in my own life, Rebecca and I have seen that in our lives, the number of Christians that have said, you just, I've seen in my life, you just can't. Can't outgive God. You just can't. Sometimes it's absurdly right away. Sometimes that sowing process is a little longer, but they've just over and over. I've heard so many Christians say, you just can't out give God when a harvest for his kingdom is, is your priority. They you say, but I'm just, I, I'm just not that kind of Christian. I'm just kind of your average, just doing the best I can Christian. And if that's what you say, you don't know who you are. See, I just don't see those kind of miracles in my life. Then you don't know who you are, Christian. You are part of an army that He has raised up. And our origin story is a miracle called the resurrection. He rose back from the dead, and we all rose with Him. In fact, this is the army that you're a part of, Christian. The army that you are a part of is an army that is prophesied about in the Old Testament. Did you know that there's pro- so many prophecies about Jesus? But did you know there are prophecies about you? This is the prophecy about you. He sends Ezekiel out into the wilderness. And Ezekiel standing around, he sees bones, human bones everywhere. They've been there long dead for, for many years, maybe many generations. They're dry. They're just these dead, dry bones. And what God tells Ezekiel, says, speak over these bones. Speak the word of the Lord over these bones. And Ezekiel speaks the word over these bones, and all of a sudden a wind rises up from every direction, sweeps through that that valley, and all the bones, they start to rattle. And he's standing around these rattling bones as they're rattling back into place. And then he says, and I see, I see flesh coming on these bones. I see ligaments and tendons and muscles coming to place and organs being restored and skin coming over and hair coming out and they rise up alive. They were now a living army. That's you, Christian. We were dead. We were lost in this world. We were confined to all that this world has to offer. But when Jesus did the miracle of all miracles, defeating sin and death, he made you a citizen of another realm. You are a citizen of heaven. You have the Holy Spirit breathing over you, raising you to life. So you are different from the inside out. You are giving your life for the things that matter for eternity. Mathetes, that is your calling. That is the type of army that you are a part of. Do you believe that, church? That's the army that you're a part of. So may we not hold back and settle for the things that moth and rust destroy. Take God at his word and sow into the things that matter for eternity. Let me lead us in a time of prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? For you who are here that are mathetes, would you let the Holy Spirit just work in your heart now? Would you let the Holy Spirit speak into you? How is he calling you to greater things? Will you do it? Bring it to a point of decision. Don't make this just a a message you heard once. It's not about that. It's about you and the word of God. Do you believe the word of God? May we not just be hearers, but maybe we be doers of the word, take a step and watch what God wants to do. The things that matter for eternity. Some of you need to be brought into the army of God. You wanna be brought to life today. You wanna to receive that free gift of salvation. If that's you, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. But today's the day you say, I, I don't want to just try and earn it. I'm tired that I, I want to receive the free gift of salvation. And if that's you, I just want you to pray this simple prayer just silently there in your seats. Just simply say this. Say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I surrender to you. I receive salvation. I take it by faith. Raise me to new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. We want to encourage you. We want to put a Bible in your hands today. You can stop by guest services. But um, church, we're going to close with a time of, of communion. This is what it took to raise us to life. It's the body of of Jesus was broken his blood was shed and so we take communion the bread is a symbol of his body the juice is a symbol of his blood and Christians have been taking this for generations from the very beginning as a proclamation that Jesus is our Savior so for starters if look if Jesus is not your Savior if you're not ready to take that step and follow him all or nothing then hold off from taking this today because that's what that is it's proclaiming that Jesus is your Savior But if you put your faith in Jesus for the first time today, we would invite you to take communion with us. Here's how this is going to work. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come forward. You're going to get uh, one of these. You can get it in the forward or you can get it in the back. You're going to take that back to your seat and then just kind of in your own private reflective moment while the rest of us are having our own reflective moments, you can just take the bread and drink the juice right there in your seat. And then we're going to close in a song and and then after our service have some fellowship over in the Fuge. But... um, In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to begin coming forward to the front or going to the back and getting one of these and remembering the cost. He came to us, act of extraordinary generosity. He gave his body. He shed his blood for us. What an inexpressible gift. You can begin coming forward and going to the back now. Thanks for listening.